how good it is. Man, this is fantastic. Thank you for coming this morning. I would say let's get together and have a group hug, but that might be inappropriate for a day like this, so we'll resist that. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I hope you've been able to take advantage of those weekly Bible studies on video. From our previous studies, you'll remember that the book of Ecclesiastes has been divided into four parts or four lessons. In lesson one, we found in chapters one and two, King Solomon, based on his personal experience and observations, has said that joy, meaning, purpose in life, is a gift from God. It comes as a gift from God. Lesson 2, presented in chapters 3 through 5, we were introduced to the plan of God. Life is not a random set of events and happenings strung together like beads on a string. No, God has a plan, a detailed plan, a plan that is permanent, perfect, purposeful, and predictable. A plan that is being worked out in our world today and in your life, and in my life. And although at times we may question the events and circumstances we find ourselves in, the Bible clearly teaches that God has a plan, that God is sovereign, and that his plan is always working for his glory and for our good. But what about those times when you realize that your satisfaction is not guaranteed, or when the going gets tough, or when you can't straighten what God has made crooked. Those were the titles we used for the last three messages based on lesson three found in chapters six through eight. In this third lesson, which is really the heart the very central piece of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has been helping us to understand the plan of God in the light of life's inequities and injustices. So how do you respond to the racial tensions that have boiled over and dominated the headlines for the last number of weeks? And on a more personal level, how do you respond when we've been praying for one of our members here at our church, her son, was involved in a car accident a number of months ago and was charged with, um, as a result of the accident. It's still before the courts and we've been praying for him and the results. The absolute worst that could happen, and we're praying that none of this happens, but the worst could be that he's found guilty. He will then potentially lose his job because he's a convicted felon. He will potentially have to surrender his green card and move his family back to Canada all as a result of an accident. 
how do those kinds of events fit into the, this plan of God? The short answer is, I don't know. And neither do you. And let's not pretend and become like one of Job's friends. As a result, these so-called friends were more than willing to assess, diagnose, and prescribe the solution to Job's catastrophic fall from riches to rags. And by the way, they were all wrong. Job had not sinned, as they had assumed. And like that story of the blind man in John chapter 9 that we studied a number of months ago, Jesus was the one who had to step up and correct his disciples on their wrong assumption. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened to show the power of God could be seen in him. In other words, for God's glory and for our good. Beloved, we live in a broken world and as a result, we are going to encounter all kinds of brokenness. Like the song said, shattered dreams, wounded hearts, broken toys. Circumstances that will challenge your and my belief in this whole idea that God has a plan. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, King Solomon offers four responses that will help us to preserve our belief in God's sovereign plan. When we're facing or witnessing these kinds of circumstances that from our perspective seem totally unjust and unfair, and how we respond can make all the difference in the world. You may demand an answer to your why questions. And in those demands, your frustration will grow. And as your frustration grows, you will give birth to an anger that will then invite bitterness into your life. And that bitterness will rot you from the inside out. But there is an alternative. We can accept these suggestions or this teaching that Solomon gives us. The responses that he suggests in light of the fact that God has a plan that he's working out in your life and in my life. Despite what it may appear from our perspective. Allow me to read the chapter. Chapter 8 verses 1 to 15. Lead us in a prayer. And then we'll take a closer look at these verses. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 8. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? Man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, What are you doing? 
He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind, or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, and those used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where, he, where they did thus. This, too, is futility. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. There is futility which is done on earth, that is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. So ends lesson number three. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a sovereign and that your word ensures that you have a plan. Jeremiah the prophet declared, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Thank you that your plan included this opportunity to regather this morning as a localized expression of the body of Christ. You have brought us together, each one here by your design and for your purpose. We have come to worship you and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Enable us to fulfill those purposes this morning, even as we look to your word. Illumine our minds so that we can understand what you are wanting to communicate to each one of us through this specific text and then prevent us from being hearers only change us transform us so that we will become more and more like Jesus in our actions and reactions in our words and our deeds by the power of your spirit for your glory in Jesus name we pray amen when life makes no sense, it's hard to believe that God has a plan. Notice verse 1. 
Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? Man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Wisdom offers an advantage. And so reason number one, seek to be wise. Or response number one, sorry, seek to be wise. And remember, we already know from the previous chapter, chapter 7, that wisdom is both rare and remote. Look at verse 23 and 24 in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? Wisdom is rare and it's remote. And so the saying is true. There is nothing common about common sense. And it is on this basis that many have questioned our responses to this COVID-19 pandemic. I do wonder how history will judge our responses once we get down the road a ways. Seems, I think, to most would agree at least that many of our responses have been led by a irrational fear perpetuated by the media and modern technologies. And also maybe a little bit of those seeking the political advantage as well. Earlier this past week, as we were preparing to regather for this worship service, I was on the Southwestern Public Health Region's website. Listen to this paragraph clipped from a news release released on May 26th. At the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, initial provincial modeling scaled to local population size, so it's specific to the Oxford County, projected that the southwestern public health region to see up to 2,000 daily cases at the peak of the outbreak. It goes on. As of May 26th, there have been 73 total cases and four deaths. Perhaps the model lacked a little bit of wisdom. But regardless, I think we should all thank God for what appears that Oxford County has been spared. It has just been a delight, and we need to thank God for what has happened here in our county. Solomon, in verse 1, identifies two advantages that wisdom offers. Wisdom, first of all, illumines you. It enables us to explain things, to offer insight. It helps us to understand what in the world is happening. Daniel was part of that, um, those Jewish young men that were exported to Babylon following Jerusalem's fall. Listen to how the queen of Babylon talked of Daniel's reputation. Daniel chapter 5 verse 12. This man Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, 
and solve difficult problems. Daniel had a reputation of being a man who was illumined by wisdom. I have a friend who works for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. And I pray for him on a regular basis. And I actually use as part of that prayer the description of the 200 leaders from the tribe of Issachar found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, where it reads, All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Wisdom illumined them so that they could understand the times and guide the people of Israel forward. You know, I would invite us as a local church to be praying on a regular basis, as I do, for our elders. And one of my prayer requests for them is that God would give us wisdom to shepherd his people well. I pray that they would be illumined by wisdom. That would give them a tremendous advantage in fulfilling their shepherding responsibilities. It would be for your advantage as well. Wisdom illumines you. It gives you insight, discernment, perception, and an understanding not available to the fool or to the person who is unwise. The second advantage that Solomon mentions here is wisdom causes your face to shine. In other words, it brightens your countenance, relaxes your face muscles. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, it is the heart. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. In the same way that a joyful heart will change our complexion, our countenance, so does wisdom. And others can see it in our face. Whether wisdom is from under the sun, based on common sense or a lifetime of experience, or better yet, the wisdom that begins with the fear of God. Regardless, wisdom offers us an advantage. Seeking to be wise, especially in those times when life isn't making any sense. It begins by admitting your lack of understanding. I don't get it. I'm confused. Your doubts and your fears. Admit them. And then ask God for wisdom. That doesn't mean that we set our rational abilities aside. We think. Continue to think. Don't just follow your emotions or the crowd. Desires. Don't allow those to dictate your response. And then consult, surround yourself with wise people who will open God's word with you. Beloved, wisdom offers an advantage. Seek to be wise, especially when life is making no sense at all. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. You may want to, in your Bible, circle that word keep. That is the only imperative in the entire chapter. Keep the command of the king. That's an order. 
Remember, in Solomon's day, in this historic context, the king had absolute authority. Seek to be wise. Number one. Secondly, obey, uh, obey your authority. Why? Why should we keep the command of the king? It's almost as if King Solomon was anticipating that question because he goes on and he gives us five reasons why obeying the king's command is a good idea. The first is obvious. To quote verse 2, because of the oath of God. Now it's not entirely clear what this oath of God was referring to. Was it referring to the people making a commitment to the king before God? Or was it God himself making a commitment to the king? Actually, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 24, we find an example of the former, where the people are making a commitment to the king before God. And the king happens to be Solomon, where the transfer of power is going from his dad, King David, to him. Listen to these words in verse 24. All the officials, the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David pledged allegiance, made an oath to the king. But then God also made an oath to the king. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he promised King David with these words, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And that meant, as the Israelites obeyed their king, they were actually honoring God's anointed leader. Either way, you're keeping the commandment or the command of the king. You're fulfilling an oath of God. Secondly, because he has the power to enforce it. Look at verses 3 and 4. You may want to underline that last phrase in verse 3. For he will do whatever he pleases. Then allow me to read verse 4 from the New Living Translation. His command is backed up by great power. No one can resist or question it. I've always been a kind of a, on the small side, a little guy. In fact, I remember I graduated from grade 13. I was still wrestling in the 123 weight category. I've been a little guy. I remember when I went to Saskatoon in my first senior pastor role, and I came across a comic from the Leadership Magazine. And the pastor in the comic, he was a little guy too. And he was standing before this huge executive desk and obviously making his appeal. And as he's standing there, he's got his thumb and he's pointing over his shoulder. And this is what he's saying. And before you answer that, allow me to introduce you to my new associate pastor. And standing behind him was this Goliath of a man. He must have been 6'10", 380. Folks, it's all about leverage. And in Solomon's day, the king had it all. And that was a good reason to keep the command of the king. Thirdly, 
because you avoid trouble. Notice the first part of verse 5. And allow me to read it again from the New Living Translation. Those who obey him will not be punished. The implication is that those who choose to obey the king, they will be avoiding any kind of trouble. And if you refuse to obey him, you're inviting trouble and negative consequences. Things that most of us would choose to avoid if given the opportunity. So keep the command of the king. Fourth, because it's the smart thing to do. Look at verses 5 and 6. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. Even in the midst of absolutely miserable circumstances, when you're depressed and you can't see light at the end of the tunnel, to do the right thing is always the best response. It's a smart response. And I know that's easy to say, but so did Solomon. The reality is, regardless of how you feel or think about the king or his decisions, you're responsible for your own choices, your actions and your reactions, your words and your deeds. Choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. The end of verse 5 in the New Living Translation reads, Those who are wise, those who are wise, will find a time and a way to do what is right. Keep the command of the king because it's the right thing to do. Fifthly, because his life has limits. Look at verse 7 and 8. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to resist the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharging in time of war. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. No one knows the future. No one knows the day of their death. And everyone, no one escapes accountability. Not even the king. Five good reasons to keep the commandment of the king. Number one, because of the oath of God. Two, because he has the power to enforce his command. Three, because you want to avoid trouble. Four, because it's a smart thing to do. And five, because life has its limits. You'll notice verse three, Solomon also provides a directive of how we go about obeying this command of the king. They're actually presented as prohibitions. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. First, don't be disrespectful. Don't be always trying to become the leader of the official opposition. Don't take your ball and go home. Withdraw. Quit. Don't be that person. Secondly, do not join with rioters or those planning a coup against the king. Or keep companies with those planning any kind of evil for that matter. Remember David's response 
when he had the opportunity to take King Saul's life on two separate occasions. Actually, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6, it reads, Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. Speaking of King Saul, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. How do we keep the commandment of the king? By being respectful and supportive, viewing him as, God, as a God-ordained leader. Now, before we leave this point, I realize that none of us are sitting under the king this morning. In fact, we've never really had kingship authority over us. And although Solomon's writing about a relationship to a king, all of these hows and whys are transferable. We need to keep the commandment or the commands of those who are in authority over us. Whether it be government officials, law enforcement officers, employers, teachers, parents, elders of our local church. Now granted, they have varying degrees of leverage. And we live in a nation that prides itself in democratic and human rights. I realize all of that. But beloved, you are still responsible before God for how you respond to those that he has placed in authority over you. Listen to these instructions from the New Testament. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect and not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And just before we leave this point, allow me to just make a comment on civil disobedience. I can see that there may come a time in the not-too-distant future where this will be applicable to our lives, where we will actually be required to disobey civil authorities. Peter and the apostles model what that might look like in the book of Acts. The, those in positions of authority had ordered them to stop teaching in Jesus' name. And uh, the way they responded, and I'll just say that if we're ever required to stop teaching in Jesus' name, then Acts chapter 5 verse 29 comes into play. But Peter and the apostles answered, 
We must obey God. We must obey God rather than man. However, in saying that, I do want to point out and caution us that as Jesus followers, we can't stretch this Acts chapter 5 verse 29 example to justify all kinds of civil disobedience. It's just not applicable. They were being prevented specifically from teaching in Jesus' name. This wasn't about human rights or persist or protesting activities that we might may find offensive. They were being prevented from proclaiming and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it comes to that, we will be prepared to bear the consequences of obeying God rather than man. When life is not making sense, seek to be wise and obey authority over you. Third reason, fear God. Fear God. Our third response. I keep saying reason. Solomon offers a couple of observations before providing some assurance. And you may want to underline in your Bibles that little phrase, I have seen, in verse 9, and then again in verse 10. So what, what is it that Solomon sees here? Observation number one, he sees power being abused. That last phrase of verse 9. In Eugene Peterson's interpretive translation, it reads, As long as men and women have power to eat, hurt each other, this is, what it is. this is the way it is. That's sad, but it's true. Observation number two. Wicked people being honored. Look at verse 10. So then, I have seen the wicked buried those who used to go in and out of the holy place, they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility. And sometimes they don't even have to wait until they're dead in order to be honored. One more, observation number three. Notice verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of sons, the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Evil is promoted when justice is delayed. This is the world in which you and I live. A world where you are going to face or witness these kinds of injustices and inequities. They're unavoidable. The question is, how are you going to respond? Solomon not only wants us to see what he saw, he wants us to know what he knew. Did you notice that little phrase, I know, in verse 12? See it there? He actually goes on to describe two sides of the same coin. Allow me to read verses 12 and 13 from Eugene Peterson's interpretive translation. I'll read it slowly so you can follow along in your translation. Even though a person sins and gets by with it hundreds of times throughout a long life, I am still convinced, or I still know, that the good life is reserved for the person who fears God, who lives reverently in his presence, 
and that the evil person will not experience a good life. No matter how many days he lives, they'll be as flat as a colorless shadow because he doesn't fear God. Fearing God and living reverently in his presence results in the good life. And I'm not referring to the gym downtown. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 10, said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So how do you cultivate a proper fear of God? I think I spoke on that, this last video on last Sunday. You will not fear what you do not know. This book is a self-revelation of God. I don't know of any other way to get to know him. It is the primary means. And we can, I, I, I'm fearful for the evangelical church in North America. I think we've developed a view of God that we've kind of picked up as we've gone along the way, just by hearsay. And we've sewn it together in this patchwork of an image of God rather than going to the text, sitting down, and hearing from God. That would be like you and I being able to get to know one another by talking with other people and never talking with each other. Here at the Rock Community Church, two of our five ministry non-negotiable is a high view of God and a biblical view of man. And they're absolutely essential in order to have a developing biblical view or biblical fear of man. Seek to be wise. Obey those in authority over you. Fear God. And response number four, enjoy the good things in life. Good friends, family, a good book, laying in the sun, taking a day off, a fun activity, taking a holiday. And although you may not be able to afford a week at a Sandals resort, plan for one that you can afford. Life does not have to be a, a grind 24-7, but it will be if you allow it to become that. Stop and smell the roses. Enjoy some shade on a hot summer's day. And I mean that both literally and figuratively. Look at verse 15. So I commanded pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. Beloved, according to verse 14, you'll notice it there, there is futility which is done on the earth. That's Solomon's favorite descriptor of life under the sun. In fact, in, he begins the book in chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life under the sun. It can be confusing, puzzling, empty, purposeless, joyless, and insignificant. A place where good things happen to bad people, according to verse 14. And bad things 
happen to good people. And yet God has a plan. A plan where sometimes you meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. According to the Joseph story in Genesis chapter 50, verse 12. And yet, in the midst of it all, there are good things that you and I can enjoy. And James chapter 1, verse 17, reminds us that every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Take a moment, just now, and think of some, reflect on some of the, the good things in your life. You know, they're so easy to take for granted. Plan to enjoy them today, those good things that came to your mind. One of those good things, in my mind, is being able to come together, regather as the Rock Community Church and worship together. Thank you for coming this morning. I realize it's the beginning of a new air we have to develop a new habit coming back and taking Sunday to be with God's people but it's such an important practice you know I think that um, our oldest son who's a pastor in Oakville said to me earlier this week that that he believes that these three months have hurt the church the, the church family and we will need to recover from that but the church, the Christian life, is designed to be lived and worked out in community. And we're not getting together. That's a terrible disadvantage. So welcome home. Welcome back. And uh, thank you for coming this morning. When life makes no sense at all, like in three months of physical separation as a result of COVID-19 pandemic, you find yourself asking why. Why me? Now, there are times you might ask, why not me? But don't allow those questions to become the root of frustration in your life that produces that anger, turns into bitterness that rots us from the inside out. It will produce despair and depression. Rather than all of that, Seek to be wise, obey your authorities, fear God, and enjoy the good things this life offers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have been able to spend together this morning, for each participant here. For those unable to be with us as well, we want to pray for them. We look forward to them being able to rejoin us in the near future. May we as a local church remain committed to spurring one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Thank you for protecting and sustaining us individually and collectively through these days. Keep us from fear and discouragement. 
Help us respond to all the futility that this life offers by seeking to be wise, obeying our authorities, fearing you the way you ought to be feared, and taking time to enjoy some of the good things you have provided. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.